Welcome to the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we are convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures, seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. Good morning, Imago Day. It's pretty amazing to think about um, just this, this very basic and sort of... Uh, obvious thing that we wouldn't worship Christ by going into debt at Christmas. Um, That sort of seems like it would be an obvious thing. And yet to see the transformation that's happened all over the world because churches are doing this. And um, one of the stories that Jeannie didn't tell you is they were at a church and um, he he asked, uh, the guy knew that Jeannie was my wife and she said, oh, who's your husband? She said, Rick McKinley. He goes, oh, I've read all his books. And uh, she was thinking of Rick, he was thinking of Rick Warren, <laughs> who has sold several more copies than I have. <laughs> so anyways, I'm mailing him my books. Um, <laughs> they're all out of print, but I, if anybody has a copy. <laughs> no, none of you do? Oh, uh, just kidding. Uh, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 15. We are, have been going through the book of Romans since uh, after Easter. And today we're, we're looking at sort of the point of this letter. One of the things I think we forget is that Paul wrote this as a letter. And, and we've taken it and we place it in the Bible and then we put chapters and verses and we break it all up and then we take like two months or two years to preach through it. Um, if somebody sent you a letter and you did something like that, they would think you're weird, right? Like, hey, did you get my letter? Yeah, I'm on like second paragraph. I sent it six months ago. Yes, it's in, you know, we're going to take some time with this letter. <laughs> and so part of what gets lost in breaking it down is that as he, he wrote it with the idea that we're going to read it in one setting, And so Paul has taken us through this really high sort of theology. Some people have called Romans sort of the pinnacle of Paul's theology. Where we see all that God has done in Christ. Where he has sort of undone the sin of Adam. Where Christ has made us right with the Father. Where God has fulfilled his promises to Abraham and created this new humanity in Jesus through his spirit. And what is the point of all that? Besides us sort of getting in on this, what was Paul's intention? Why was he writing this letter? What did he want to see the people in Rome do in response to this letter? And that's where we get to go today. When we think of the book of Romans, Paul's imagination of what the church would be is that the church would be a place that is different than all other places in our cities, in our communities, in the world. He, he wants us to, to wrestle with the idea of what would it look like to be a community known for the way in which we act out the gospel towards one another, the way we act out this beautiful story of Christ who has come after us. 
And so today in chapter 15, we're going to look at what was his point, what was he driving at. If he was sitting here with us today, what would he want us to do in response to all he's written in the last 14 chapters? So look with me at verse 5. He says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The, The first thing he does is he starts with a prayer. And his prayer is that we would be able to to live faithfully for the long haul. He uses the words encouragement and endurance. And what what that tells us, tells me, is that this is going to be a long work and a challenging work. That we're talking about heaven breaking into earth. We're talking about a community of people that live under the reign of Christ in a world that doesn't. And so he prays for us that our attitude would be united with the attitude of Christ. That the way that we think about each other and the world and reality would be shaped by Christ himself. And primarily the focus of that would be that we would have the mind of Christ towards each other. He's saying, I want you to see each other like God sees you. It's a simple but a very, very powerful statement. What would this community be like if we saw each other the way Christ sees us. Most of us come in wanting other people to do that for us, right? And if they don't, we're quick to let people know. I went to that church, they didn't treat me nicely. But this is for all of you that are Christians. And the idea is that we would be so impacted by what Christ has done in us that it would overflow through us in our relationships with one another. How does Christ see us? Well, Christ, if we look back at the Gospels, the the parables, you think of the prodigal son, where, where it's very obvious that God doesn't look at us as good or bad, but lost or found. That God doesn't sit passively by waiting for you to get close to him. But he pursues, he comes after. He's not insecure in himself going, man, I would love to sort of reach out to Rick, but I'm not sure how he's going to feel about that. You know, I don't know if he likes me. No, he came after us while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. That's what Paul tells us in this book. And in a culture like ours, if there was truly this people who practiced this scene of the other, that we saw one another the way Christ sees us, that we wouldn't simply tolerate people, but we would love people,
In a culture like ours that is so polarized, it's very much a culture like Rome. These words that we hear would have been just as challenging as they were in Rome. A a city and a culture that was defined by class, was defined by race, was defined by gender and politics. Divided at every line. Portland needs a people like this, but we need to be a people like this. And when I think of even this morning as the, the gentleman's dancing down here in the front and we all sort of get nervous like, oh, and I'm not, I, I'm not suggesting that it's just total chaos, but there's a way in which that we can kind of help one another out in these moments. Portland is, is a hurting city because we are a hurting people. And our brother this morning, wherever he's at, we need to pray for him. And just so you know that, that we have quote unquote security, but their job really is to provide care for people when they're kind of doing their thing. To, to move them to a place where they can engage them if that's possible. So I don't want you to think that we're just like, get these people out of here. That's not what we're doing. But it's beyond just sort of the, the uncomfortable. It actually moves down into this place of looking across the room because it's not just Portland that he's talking about. He's really talking about how in the church can we look at one another with this lens of saying, I see you as Christ sees you. And the purpose, though, as much as it would revolutionize Portland, for Paul, the purpose was not social change. The purpose was worship. Look what he says here. He says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ collectively as one people that we would be united with one voice and one mind giving praise to God. This is the heart of God since creation that he would be with his people, that he would dwell with his people and we would live in a love relationship with this God. The language that the Old Testament uses is the word shalom. It's a picture of peace that there is harmony between God and his people, but there's also harmony between brother and brother, sister and sister. Paul's saying that the aim of where this gospel is going is supposed to hit the bedrock of our relationships with each other in this community. A unified knowledge of God and experience of his grace and we would be unified in our speech, in our worship of God. The church and the world don't simply have social problems or political problems. We have worship problems. If we could start with worship and putting our heart 
focused on the Lord and understanding all that God has done for us, receiving that for ourselves, that would overflow towards one another. The heartbeat of mission and social change has to come from worship, not just problem solving. And in an overarching sense, this has been the church's calling for 2,000 years. How do we have a common confession, a common creed that we can say together and agree on together with one mind and one voice? But we all know that our human hearts, they're prone to dissent. We're prone to divide. We're prone to judge. We're prone to blame. I mean, as soon as we get to Genesis chapter 3, which means we are only three chapters into the Bible, and sin has come, the first thing they do is start blaming each other, saying, well, it's the serpent's fault, and Adam's like, well, the woman you gave me, you know? Suddenly he doesn't remember her name or anything. It's just like, I don't know. We're just so quick to say, no, them, it's their fault. It's in our broken DNA. We know that in our humanity, we dissent, we divide. We don't really want to be unified. We want to be individuals. We want to be autonomous. Which is why the first thing that Paul does here in chapter 15 is that he calls us to pray. Because in and of ourselves, this is not something that we can just dig down deeper and will. To, to actually see one another the way God sees us is going to require a supernatural influx of grace through the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, before he commands us, he prays for us. And his prayer is that God would change our attitude. Is there anyone at this church that he needs, he's asking you to change your attitude towards? Look at verse seven. And then he comes to the point, and this is the point of the book, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you in order to bring praise to God. I know you're like, really? That's the point of Romans? And I will prove it to you in a second. But everything that the reason he has written is because there's this church and they're divided, they're Gentile and Jewish church. They're, they're sort of not really, they're suspicious of each other. They're not fully connected. They're ready to divide over race, divide over religion. And Paul comes to them and says, this is my gospel. That the Jew, those who are born of Israel, and the Gentile, meaning all of us, we are all under the power of sin. And God is creating this new humanity through his promise to Abraham that he would have a people for himself and that people would be a blessing to the nations. And so he boils this whole thing down in this one very simple command, accept one another as God has accepted you. This is not just another command among a whole bunch. 
This is the point of the book. This is the point that Paul has been waiting to make. That this new humanity, this God's people on earth, the church, is the place where the acceptance of God is acted out in the flesh, person to person. This is the place where we are to find and extend acceptance because of what Christ has done for us. Now, I think about just our own human relationships and how difficult that is, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm the mailman who brings the mail. I'm not the guy who's mastered the mail. And so it's very easy to have a bad attitude, to have people get on your nerves. And we live in a culture that has so divided over homogeneity, meaning people who look like me, talk like me, think like me, that's my tribe, okay? And everybody else is wrong, and some of them are more tolerant, I can be more tolerant of than others. And, and, and so what, what, is he, what exactly is he getting at? Like, how far does this acceptance go? Because there are people who have offended me, people who have been rude to me, people who have hurt me. It's almost easier to accept the person that you just met, the person in great need, than the person that you've had to be in community with for 20 years. Because at some point, you're like, something went wrong there. It's just a matter of time. So really, is he calling us to say we're supposed to really, how do we do this when there's people who just get on our nerves, people that we don't want to hang out with, people that we disagree with? Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we flip the script and it was Christ's acceptance of us, how many times would he be able to say, really? Again? I'm supposed to keep extending Acceptance to Rick? Like, this guy's been on my nerves since before the creation of the world. <laughs> right? But what he pronounces is despite your limitations, despite the way that we rub against one another, despite our disagreement, despite our offense of each other, there is now no condemnation Christ's sacrifice was not only big enough to forgive you, but also to forgive them, which means that just as he accepted us, we now extend that acceptance to one another. But that acceptance was not passive. If I said today, I want you on the way out of here to walk across the room and extend that acceptance to somebody. Four of you would do it, accidentally. <laughs> and yet, Christ 
before the creation of the world is in pursuit, is going to the greatest lengths ever to extend that acceptance to us. Where does our acceptance of one another stop? Does it stop at ability, mental ability, physical ability? Do we extend that to people who aren't going to be okay in the normal everydayness of American life? Do we extend that acceptance to people who are so far opposite of us on every little issue? How did God extend his acceptance to you? And you can answer that question for yourself. He looked at you and by his own sacrifice, he said no condemnation. He said that to you and he said that to me and he said that to all your brothers and sisters in this room and now he comes back to us and says, can you now accept each other? This is the response of the letter that Paul was aiming at. And now I get to kind of prove my point here. Look at verse eight. So he goes right from this command to accept one another and then he goes into, for I tell you that Christ has became, become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth. Christ the servant of Jews on behalf of God's truth. If we go back to Romans chapter one, do we have that on the screen? Romans chapter one, we'll start with the way that Paul begins the book. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God by the power of his resurrection from the dead. In Paul's mind, what Christ came was to serve the promises of God throughout all of the Old Testament, that he would be in the line of David, the king of the world, and his son of God, which again was only ever given to Caesar, he would be the king of the world. Paul is saying the reason that he came was to serve this Old Testament story of Israel and fulfill his promise to Abraham and to Moses and to David. Look at chapter 3, verse 21 through 26. As he tells us, Jew and Gentile are all under sin, he then says this, but now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets, to which the Old Testament testifies. And this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There isn't a difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are justified freely by his grace. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. 
When we get to chapter 15, Paul is saying, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you because this is what Christ came to do, to serve the Jews, to fulfill the covenant, to, to make us right with God through the sacrifice of his own blood. Son of David, king of the world. In verse nine, Verse eight, he says, for I tell you, Christ has become a servant of Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. The entire book, Paul is making his case that this covenant this new people of God in Jesus is not exclusively for the Jews, but it has been extended to the Gentiles. Abraham's blessing, if you go back to Genesis, it's that he would have a people, and that people would be a blessing to the nations. And here, what Paul is doing is to say that the reason I'm calling you to accept one another as Christ has accepted you is because God has extended his grace without boundary. God has extended his grace without ethnicity, beyond religion, beyond uh, your own sense of righteousness. And he has done it at the sacrifice of his beloved son. That's how he's accepted you. And his desire was not just to fulfill his promises to his people, but also to envelop those who are not of Israel, Gentiles, so that we might see the mercy of God and be amazed. So that we might recognize like our own propensity, our own irreligiosity, our own lack of creed and confidence of our own righteousness and to experience a God that says, I love you. I put my name on you. Paul says that those Gentiles might then turn around and glorify God for his mercy. And then he goes on to quote Psalm 18 and Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 117 and Isaiah 11 to say this is what the Old Testament was pointing to. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. And in him, the Gentiles will hope. And the apostle Paul is saying, that has happened. And because that has happened, you now are the very people of God where the presence of God dwells. And if you knew who you were, and if you understood the acceptance by which God has accepted you, you would look at this not as a challenge, but as a gift to extend that kind of acceptance to each other. To, to act out the gospel on a weekly basis. At the end of all this, he says, this is why I told you to accept one another. 
because this community of God's people, this is to be the place where we find acceptance, not only in God, but in each other. We know that Portland needs this, but look around this room. We need this. You need this. Not just to receive, but also to extend it to one another. How we see each other, how we treat each other, how we talk about each other is a direct expression of our worship. Do we see each other as the beautiful, blood-bought sons and daughters of God? Who in every weakness I can identify Or do we try to make ourselves other than, better than, above? How we see, treat, talk about each other is a direct expression of how we understand our own acceptance by God. And so you know when you think about religious hypocrisy, I went to this church, they preached this really hard doctrine, but then everybody was a hypocrite. I, I, I agree that that happens, and the reason that it happens is because there's a whole bunch of people that can't believe God's grace is as good as it is. They haven't received it for themselves, and so they can't extend it to others. And they pervert the gospel by going out and decrying all the other people, those people that aren't in, that God hates, and blah, blah, blah. And they do damage to the gospel, but what it comes down to at the end is they have no idea what it is to be accepted by Christ. No matter what they do with his name. The reason that we must be changed by Christ's acceptance of us is because the spiritual journey is that we belong to each other. And so we are being transformed by Jesus for the sake of other people, not just for ourselves. So when I'm obstinate against the grace of God, when I am like, I don't really wanna experience the acceptance of God, it makes me feel vulnerable and uncomfortable. I'm not just doing damage to my own soul, I'm doing damage to yours as well. Because I am being transformed for your sake and you're being transformed for my sake and to the extent that I am unwilling to receive this beautiful acceptance that Christ has extended to me is the extent that I won't be able to extend that to you and vice versa. And so when we look at church and we go, why is there gossip? Why is there division? Why is there judgment? Why is there hypocrisy? Well, it's because we haven't believed that we've been accepted by Christ. And so now we're left to ourselves to to make ourselves righteous, and the only way that we know how to do that is by looking at others and trying to make ourselves better then. It's because we haven't understood our own acceptance in Christ. And so to be this for each other, we have to go back and read, again, Romans 1 through 14. 
So Paul was actually brilliant going, hey, accept one another. It was like one sentence. You're like, oh my gosh. How are we going to do that? Yeah, that's, go back, read the rest, read the letter again. This was the point. God's design was that you and I would experience Jesus receiving us with no condemnation. So that when we turn to one another, we would receive each other with no condemnation. Who am I to condemn you? And who are you to condemn me? And who are we to condemn them? When we needed Christ to be that atoning sacrifice for us. God has always wanted it to be that in Christ there would be a people on earth who act out his loving grace and acceptance, who act out this gospel in the midst of real, social, political, ethnic, race challenges, that on the ground in Rome, in AD 60, there would be a little community of people who were acting out the gospel towards that city and towards one another. And his plan is that that would happen today in 2018 in Portland, Oregon. You and I are called to not just simply give cognitive assent to something, but to live into that acceptance so that it overflows, so that it extends outward. And if we start real small, and you just think of one person in this community that Christ is calling you to extend that acceptance to. Don't even do it for them if you can't get there. Do it for yourself. Do it to prove that you've experienced his acceptance. And if you go, I can't do it, then go back to Romans 15, five and pray. God, change the attitude of my mind. Help me to see as you see these people in my midst. He ends the section with this benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Spirit. And as I hear this, you sort of hear sort of the echoes of Romans 5, chapter 1, or verse 1 through 5. He says this, he says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the shalom thing that we talked about. He's saying this is here now. We have shalom. We are the people of shalom. We have peace with God through whom we've gained access by faith into his grace, which we now stand. In verse five he says, and this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that he's given us. And so he comes here and now he summarizes this and says, may this God of hope fill you with all joy and peace because you are the people of shalom now. You are the place where the peace of God dwells. And 
so that you may overflow with the hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that as the love of God was poured into you by the Holy Spirit, you would overflow with that love, with that hope through the Holy Spirit. That we would be a people of hope for each other. Some of you have walked in here today and you don't feel hope. And somebody's carrying that hope for you. I pray that the one that's carrying it will extend it. Somebody walked in here today filled with joy and peace. And there is someone here that needs that peace and needs that joy. Somebody walked in here today feeling like they can't trust that God has truly accepted them. And others of you have walked in and you're trusting God together. You're you're overflowing with hope through the Holy Spirit. Extend that to your brother and sister. You say, well, how will I know who it is? We have name tags. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You can trust that the Holy Spirit will lead you. Right? God's not, he doesn't play magic games. Just say, God, lead me. Trust him. And extend it. As we come towards the end of the book here, I know for me, at least, I get to study this and preach it, so it's always transformative. But but in my mind, for us as a community, I really do believe that God is doing something new among us. Hearing from so many of you, people who've been in church their whole life to people who've come to Christ in the last couple months, that seeing Christ through the lens of his goodness in Romans is doing something fresh in your soul. But it, but, but it would be a shame if we stopped at chapter 14 and didn't get to the point of the message, which is right here. And I know it gets uncomfortable because now it's like Paul all of a sudden's messing with my attitude towards people. What does that have to do with church? But the invitation today to this table is a communal invitation. Christ referred to us as his body. And he says, this body that I break is broken for you so that you might be one whole body. And this blood that I shed while you were still sinning made you right so I could declare no condemnation. And part of what we do is we receive this bread and wine, we receive that grace for ourselves. But in acting out the gospel, we're also called to walk away from here and extend it to one another. And so this morning I would invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your attitudes. To apply God's gift of mercy to your own soul in such a way that it would overflow to another's. To be open to actually not just hearing and understanding, but changing in the way that God intends for his people to be. And I believe there are so many of you here that are responding to the Spirit 
And I'm excited to see what God's going to do in our church, but as well through our church. So let's pray. As we come to this table this morning, I just want to invite those of you for whom this spirit is really speaking to, that want to ask God to change your attitude, that, that you would just put your hands, palms up, and, and prepare to receive that. And the other group that I want to ask to respond today is for those of you that, that struggle to receive Christ's acceptance of you, that you hear the words no condemnation, but you don't experience them. I want you as well to just palms up, reach out to the Lord as, as a way to receive, and I want to pray for you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that through your Holy Spirit you would come in power and that you would pour your love and acceptance into these brothers and sisters. God, overwhelm them with your mercy. May they feel the truth that they are not condemned because your great love for them atoned, forgave, made them right through the blood of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, pour that love, pour that hope, pour that freedom out into their hearts even as we pray these prayers. May they taste your goodness, God. May they receive your acceptance this morning. May they hear no condemnation because you are in Christ. And God, for those today that come confessing honestly before you that they, their attitude needs to be changed, that they can't see their brothers and sisters the way you see them, Father, would you remind them powerfully at this table, in this prayer, and through worship, that you empathize with our weakness, that you see us in our weakness, and you receive us there. Just as you see and receive and empathize with the people that we struggle to love, would you open the eyes of our heart, God, so that we could see them as your sons and your daughters, as your children, dearly loved by you? Would you change our attitude, God, that we might have yours? And I pray, God, that you would give them courage and boldness, give it to all of us, that we might walk across the room, that we might extend your grace, that today we would act out your gospel and people would receive your acceptance through our words and through our hugs and through our 
embrace, through our ears that listen and through our tears that we cry, that we would reach out to one another, that we would be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus this morning. So come in power, Holy Spirit. Come overflowing us with hope. Come burst through us with joy. Let us act out what is true, that we are the people of shalom, the people of peace, and we are also the people who love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Make it more so, God. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. In Christ's name. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you're interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com. Thanks a lot for listening.